When darkness seems to end Where are you now When the world is crumbling Oh, I, I, I hear you say This is Moment of Clarity with your host, Pastor Rick Dietering, co-hosts Ed Bondarenka and Phil Stargell, and special guest co-host, Pastor Max, and I'm the producer, Derek Stone. And good afternoon. I had to look at the clock. Uh, you know, <laughs> so ever since the time change, I just could not get used to it being afternoon. And actually, it should be like closer to three o'clock now with the time change, right? because we went back an hour. You're looking confused at me, Ed. Yeah, I don't <laughs> even know what real time is anymore, you know? Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> Never mind, I'm not going to say that. I love you too much to actually say that. How are you doing, Phil? Well, t- terrific. Uh, the the uh, time change always gets me just about right because I'm an early riser. I always have been. Uh-huh. And 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm up or usually up between 4.30 and 5. So this is right down my alley. No, I had a real problem because I got up at 2 o'clock early Sunday morning and I set my clock back and then the alarm went off again at 2 o'clock so I had to get up and set it back and then I had to get up. It was an ongoing thing all night long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Hey, sitting across the glass over there. How you doing, Derek? I'm doing pretty good. Y'all ready for a moment on, a moment on curling? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually do have... Some news to share in curling. Fantastic. The Red Deer Curling Classic is underway right now through Monday. Great. And you'll have you'll tell us who wins that next week, I'm sure. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we're talking about real sports, now's a good time to a moment on sports with Derek Stone. Good afternoon and welcome to this Moment on Sports. My name is Derek Stone. The Michigan Wolverines men's basketball team is now 3-0 on this 2019-2020 season after two wins this past week, starting off this past Tuesday night against the Creighton Blue Jays, which the Wolverines won by a score of 79-69. In this game, Isaiah Livers led the way for Michigan with 22 points. He made 8 out of 12 shots, 4 out of 7 three-pointers. He grabbed 4 rebounds and blocked a couple of shots. Xavier Simpson, the point guard, the man who runs the Wolverines offense, he scored 17 points, made 7 out of 11 shots, dished out 9 assists, and committed 4 turnovers. And he had a big-time problem with turnovers in the season opener against Appalachian State. And he still had a little bit of a problem in this game, but he's getting better in this new offensive scheme under their new head coach, Juwan Howard. John Teske, the big man in the middle at center, scored 17 points, made 7 out of 12 shots, grabbed 7 rebounds, blocked 3 shots, and stole the ball a couple of times. The Wolverines as a team made 57% of their shots, 39% of their three-pointers, and 83% of their free throws. The Blue Jays made 43% of their shots, 35% of their three-pointers, 
and no free throws at all in this game. They only attempted two free throws the entire game. The Wolverines did an excellent job of playing tight man-to-man defense without fouling. Great, excellent defensive coverage by the Wolverines throughout this entire game. And Michigan outscored Creighton by six at the three-point line and ten at the free throw line. That was ultimately the difference in this game and why Michigan was able to pull away and win this game without any problem at all. So let's take a look at a couple of the highlights from this game, starting in the first half when Eli Brooks drove from the top of the key to the right boundary line of the paint and passed the ball to Simpson, who buried a three-pointer from the left wing. And Wolverines fans, you know very well that Simpson is not the strongest of three-point shooters, so anytime he's able to put the ball in the basket from beyond the arc, that's always a good sign for the Wolverines over the course of a game. And then in the second half, Simpson drove from the top of the key to the right block and made an underhand layup with a defender in his face, going in there amongst the trees, as some famous CBS college basketball commentators like to say. Yes, Xavier Simpson likes to go in there and mix it up a little bit, and he certainly is able to come out and score a majority of the time and provide the Wolverines with huge baskets in the paint. And then last night... I was at this game at the Chrysler Center here in Ann Arbor. The Wolverines easily defeated the Elon Phoenix by a score of 70-50. In this game, John Teske led the way, scored 16 points, made 5 out of 10 shots, 6 out of 8 free throws. He grabbed 7 rebounds, and he had a couple of assists, 2 blocks, and 2 steals. Xavier Simpson chipped in with 11 points. He made 5 out of 11 shots and dished out 7 assists. Eli Brooks scored 10 points on 4 out of 7 shots. David DeJulius scored 10 points, made 4 out of 6 shots, and grabbed 8 rebounds. As a team, the Wolverines made 48% of their shots, 30% of their 3-pointers, and 70% of their free throws. The Phoenix, on the other hand, made 34% of their shots, 23% of their 3-pointers, and 88% of their free throws. Michigan outscored Elon by 18 in the paint, 6 in second chance points, 7 in bench points, and 12 at the three-point line. The Wolverines dished out 12 assists to only 3 for the Phoenix. And an excellent job by the Wolverines in turning the Phoenix players into one-on-one players, not allowing them to have great ball movement around the court and create any type of confusion for the Wolverines' defense because Sometimes when you go up against an opponent you're not very familiar with, they could throw out some chinks in your armor and possibly pull off an upset, as the Kentucky Wildcats know very well when Evansville defeated Kentucky earlier this week. That's my moment on sports. Pastor Rick, take it away. Thank you, Derek. That was interesting. Derek, I have to tell you, we were talking about other business in here. Um and, and and all of a sudden, now Phil decides he has to move his microphone so everyone can hear that spring bouncing and everything. Glad I've never done that. No. Um, so, you, you hey, how's be, the Kaepernick you, trials going, Derek? He's going to be holding a workout this weekend, and there's going to be 13 NFL teams that are going to show up for his tryout. And apparently, the Detroit Lions are one of the teams. Why? Why would? Why is anybody interested in him? Is he the, he's not good, is he? Or they wouldn't have got he's, him. He's actually a pretty good quarterback. 
That's he not what used, I heard. He used to be a used pretty good quarterback. I don't. He had to prove that his worth is. I think I think when he started holding his fist up, he started ruining his arm. Couldn't mm-hmm. throw as good. So. Well, I mean, he like I said, he's got to prove to me that he is worthy of a, a trial for what he did. I mean, how much disruption he caused. I think just give him know. this special open open invitation. Is just him to try out, just him, right? Yeah, Derek, you think that's a good thing? I personally don't think it's good for the National Football League if they want to try to get their image back to a proper place before all this kneeling started with Colin Kaepernick. If they want to be able to get back to the fans and say we're a different NFL than what we were when Kaepernick was here, then this is a bad move on their part. You know, this is a good lead-in for what we're going to be talking about today. Um, My problem with people kneeling during the National Anthem, protesting during the National Anthem, is they are slapping our soldiers in the face. It's mm-hmm. a direct attack yeah. on our soldiers and, and, and what they and fought for. teaching our young children yep. to hate this country. Yep. If, mm-hmm. if, I, I've seen seven-year-olds talking about kneeling, and they have absolutely no knowledge of what they're kneeling about. All right. <laughs> you know, at this point, today's show, uh, we know last Monday was Veterans Day. We did not do a Veterans Show last Sunday. Um, I figured we could do it this Sunday because we're going to have Pastor Max on with us today. And uh, he fought in what I like to call the Forgotten War, the war not too many people talk about. It was a short little war, three years. It took 12 years to show it on TV. On oh, was it Grenada? You were at Grenada? No. No, oh. uh, no Korea. People, <laughs> oh. More people will remember Grenada than, <laughs> than Korea, which is a shame. But I want to give tribute today to all of our servicemen um, who are currently serving, have served. Um, So we're going to start out with this music melody dedicated to our armed services. Yeah. 
Wow. That was exciting. Was the Navy in there? Did I miss the Navy? It was in there. You were, yeah. I don't know how I missed the Navy. I'm sitting there. I root for Navy. Mm-hmm. Who won the Army-Navy game this year? They won't be playing until, I think, the second Saturday in December. That's always usually when they play. Oh, good. I haven't missed it. <laughs> You'd think I know that. Hey, um, did they say? Hey, did they say that service academy athletes could now go pro before they finish their commitment? I'm not sure exactly what the ruling is on that right now. I think there was some type of legislation was being worked on. I remember when I was listening to the Michigan Arm the Michigan Army game earlier this year, they mentioned something about it, but nothing had been finalized. Okay, I thought it had been done a done deal along along the lines of the uh uh students being able to um profit personally while they were on uh college teams. But okay. Oh, the, oh, as far as that is, yeah, yeah, the NCAA now is allowing collegiate athletes now to be paid and but they they still have to work out the details on that part. Wow. Yeah. So, okay, folks, uh Joining us today is Pastor Max. How you doing, Pastor Max? Pretty good. Good. Hey, um, like I said, last Monday was. Hold on, I got to stop. Stop my friend Ed from running that straw in his cup. Um, it's you went. You joined Max. You joined the army in what year? Uh, it was. Uh, I think uh, I can't remember the month now, but it was in eighteen. Uh, it was nineteen fifty. Nineteen fifty. He's not that old, then. Oh. 1950 is when you joined, so that was, and your first port, where were you stationed to start with? What was what? Where were you stationed? Uh, Fort Riley, Kansas was where I took my basic training. Okay. A miserable place. The life of Riley. (laughs) (laughs) And and then you ended up in Japan. Yeah. Uh, The Korean War started... While I was in Japan, so I was one of the first ones to go over with the 1st Cavalry Division. Uh, the only unit that was over there was the 24th Infantry, and they got slaughtered. And so they rushed us into there, uh, into there but uh, we didn't do so well either. So you get called from Japan, you go over your second group into North Korea from the United States. And um, the unit that goes in before you, they get slaughtered, so they call you in. And you got, why don't you tell me your first impression, first day, first thoughts when you were in Korea? First thoughts? I I was a little bit excited about it. I, I thought, oh boy, I get to go to war. Okay. I changed my mind real quick. <laughs> so, um, what what was the... Uh, I don't know. What what changed your mind real quick? Well, uh, we saw action right away because we were, uh, Korea at that time, only had a little corner left. The North Koreans had overrun everything. They overran uh, South Koreans bad because the South Koreans didn't have anything. Uh, They had old Japanese bolt-action rifles. Uh, but the enemy, the North Koreans, were well supplied by Russia, and they even had the medium tank that was the 
scourge of the German uh, Wehrmacht, uh, the uh, medium tank uh, T-34, and we didn't have anything to knock it out with. Uh, we had nothing but World War II equipment that uh, some of it wasn't working very well. The heaviest armor we had was a little uh, light M24 tank that an armor-pierced bullet could go right through it. Uh, and and uh, in the way of firepower, we didn't have very much. Uh, I will say, though, that our rifles were better than what they had. We had the M1 that took a uh, eight-round magazine, and uh, theirs was only four rounds bolt action. So we had twice the rifle power, but that was it. They had, they had it all over on us with everything else. Now, you are a recipient of the Purple Heart. Um, yeah. You want to talk about the day you got uh, injured? Well, uh, the, the, the day before that, I, I prayed to the Lord to get me out of there. Uh, I didn't see how anybody could live through it because before this, a couple months before this, we had some real bad experiences. Uh, we were almost overrun by the enemy, and the only thing that saved us was our artillery. And uh, we had to call the artillery on our own position to beat them off because we couldn't stop them with small arms. And uh, it was a real scary nightmare, let me tell you. And uh, so I prayed to the Lord to get me out of there, you know. And the next day I got hit uh, three places. And they took, uh, took me to Japan, uh, to the hospital there. And I had to have surgery on just one of them. One of them, the other two, they left. But uh, uh, anyway, while I was in uh, while I was in the hospital, the Chinese intervened in the war, and uh, they poured in over the Yalu. And uh, by the thousands. That was the Yalu River, right? Yeah, Yalu. And uh, so when I heard about that, um, and, and, and what they did, they formed pincer movement at night. They did everything at night, so we couldn't use our air power. And all the attacks that we had from the North Koreans was nighttime. <clears throat> but... Uh, they enveloped my unit, uh, battalion, which is battalion's only about a thousand men, I believe, and uh, they wiped them out, artillery and all. The artillery didn't have time to even hook up their guns and get out, so they, because the infantry was overran, and the artillery's only about three miles back, and uh, so the only thing they could do was level their muzzles and fire solid shot. We didn't have, uh, uh, we didn't have the, the scatter shot like they got had in Vietnam. So uh, your whole battalion is wiped out then while you're in the hospital. Yeah. And while I was in the hospital, and so they sent me back 
And I thought, oh my, you know, I saw how bad it was with Koreans. I thought, how, how am I going to survive with the Chinese now? And I even wrote my mother a letter trying to soften it up. I said, now just accept it as the will of the Lord if anything happens. But uh, to my great surprise, it was easier than what the North Koreans were because we had many more units on the ground. We had heavier tanks now. We had stuff to knock out tanks, a 3.5 rocket launcher. And uh, the, uh, we had, let's see, if I could, my brain worked, I could t mention each, each of the units we had. But some of them were the 2nd Infantry Division, 24th Infantry Division, 1st Cav, uh, the 3rd Infantry Division, and the 1st and 2nd Marines, and uh, uh, a couple of other uh, divisions that I can't remember right now. But uh, uh, that was about four times as many, five times as many as were there when I was there. And so instead of having to fight every night, now it went down to like maybe once a week we would have a firefight. Now, and, we, we were talking about something in the in the green room before our show and uh, let's put this a little bit into uh, a time frame here chinese come into this but just a few years before this in world war ii we were allies with the chinese weren't we yeah and this actually this this still probably stood in the mind of some of the chinese commanders do you think because of some of the actions they took towards american soldiers well you know, of course, it depended on the commander uh, of the ground, if right. he was sim in sympathy with Americans or not. But since we were their allies in World War II, there had to be some of them that were. Anyway, they actually carried our wounded back to our lines. On you that could never get—North Korean would never do that. And on that note, we'll get back to talking to Pastor Max after these messages. co-host Phil Stargell and Ed Bondarenka. How you doing, Ed? How you pretty doing? good, pretty good. How you doing, Phil? Terrific. Terrific. Max is here. That's my guy there. <laughs> yeah, all four of us were veterans, or we, are veterans. Yeah. I was going to say, what, did you give up your veteran status or what? No, 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 no. no. Yeah, you were in the Air Force. Yeah. You were, so worked I was for a veteran, but I wasn't in the military. I was in the Air Force. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your boot camp involved loading books into a book bag. Yes, yes. 
And, and Phil, you were Army, weren't you? Army. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, I, I like you a little bit better than Ed, because you were <laughs> Army. <laughs> no. and, and of course, three, three years active and, and a, another 11 years in the reserves. What years were you active? 63 to 66. Oh, so after the Korean War. Oh, yeah. <laughs> much <laughs> much uh, after, about 10 years after. Oh, that's not a lot after. Well, actually, no, because we're still technically at war. We're with still North at Korea. them, yeah. 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 So yeah. technically, you were. My in. National Defense Ribbon did not come for the Korean War, though. It came for the Vietnam War. Yeah. And uh, I went in during the Cold War. Ta da. <laughs> but, but there is still the Cold War. I oh, mean, it's still going on. Yeah, I mean, we're still at other with, means. With, uh, with, well, not the Soviet Union anymore, but the Russians. I'll tell you, when, uh, when I was in, we, didn't, we, we were chasing Russian subs all over the place in the, in the Gulf of Mexico and down along the South America way. They liked coming up in there. But uh, we would find them and chase them out. That's what I did. I chased submarines. And my friend Jim Curtis was a flying officer on a P-3. P-3. Pictures uh, of uh, Akula's, yep. you know, just below the surface from above, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. P-3 was my plane. Loved it. T-56 J-14 engine. Knew it inside and out. Well, not actually, I didn't know it inside, otherwise I'd be lunch meat. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're with Pastor Max. He's uh, telling us a little bit about his days in the Korean War. So we actually covered real a big space from the time you went to Korea to the time you went into the hospital how long of a period was that Pastor Max oh I had 11 months 11 months in already yeah no not in the army but in 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 Korea Mm -hmm. Uh, you're you're only supposed to have six and you get uh, rotated because in, in the infantry you know uh because uh, there's nothing between you and the enemy but your shirt. Right. And uh, after six months, uh, you know, if you're surviving, you need to be relieved. And I was there for 11, and I thought they forgot me. Uh I thought I was going to be there for the whole war. You almost were, because it only lasted three years. But uh, And by the way, in those three years, it took the Vietnam War 10 years to pass our casualties. They finally had more casualties, but it took 10 years to get what we did in three. You guys were much uh, more efficient, huh? Uh, huh? <laughs> I don't know, but I, I'm just I'm that just was a saying. War yeah. I, I don't understand why this is the forgotten war. Everything, you jump from World War II to Vietnam. Well, what about, what about all of the people that died in, in there? The casualty rate... You guys and, didn't have Walter Cronkite. Oh, and, and also it, it, out to be a schnook. it wasn't mm-hmm. worldwide communications <clears throat> like, like the the Vietnam War. It yeah. was uh, the 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 dinner war. Yeah. Vietnam War mm-hmm. was the dinner war, <clears throat> and and uh, well. but in the Korean War, when this thing went out, uh, when the sun went down, there wasn't any notice of of, of that war. Yeah. So real quick. So before, up to the time, how long were you in Korea before you got shot? Uh, let's see. It was it was June when I went in, <clears throat> July, August, September. It was about two and a half months. 
about two and a half months. And in that two and a half months before you got shot, what was the worst battle that you saw there? <clears throat> well, the worst, the worst nightmare that I ever experienced over there was a <clears throat> a hill called 742. It was more like a mountain. <clears throat> it took a long time to get up on the top. And we were supposed to relieve a South Korean unit. <clears throat> they couldn't hold anymore. And uh, I went up. Uh, we went up there, and there were shallow graves with feet sticking out, and you could smell corpses mm -hmm. all over the place. And uh, when they saw us coming up to relieve them, they had big grins on their face. And I, they, they had dented helmets and all kinds of, you could tell there was some hot stuff going on there. <clears throat> and uh, they pulled out, and we went in. And... Uh, of course, the danger always takes place at night, so we can't use our air power uh, in support. And uh, the, we, we strung out uh, tin cans mm -hmm. <clears throat> and everything out in front of our position. And uh, the first night we heard them rattle, and uh, there was a lot of fire going on, but all that rattle was to find out where our automatic weapons were. They send up feelers mm -hmm. and deliberately draw your fire so that you can see the flashes at night and uh, they know where you are and so forth because they knew that American unit went up there. Now they wanted to see what was going on. And, uh, but the second night they, they they came out in masses, and you could hear them down below. It sounded like a turkey farm. They weren't even trying to be quiet. And they were jabbering at, uh, each other, and you could smell garlic and everything else. They were all on that. And uh, <clears throat> pretty soon you heard these squad whistles. And uh, then the next thing you know, you heard a bugle. And they all came in mass, and uh, I was, unfortunately, I got a situation where I was assistant machine gunner, and I didn't, it was with a uh, C company. I was Fox Company. They had a lot of action, and they, and they lost their uh, assistant gunner and put me in there. Well, that's the last place I wanted to be because machine guns are the things they want to get first. They want to knock them out. And, uh, was it water-cooled? Huh? It was crew-served, and was it water-cooled? No, it was regular air-cooled. Okay. Uh, A6. A uh, 1918. We're still using them. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, they uh, you know, before they made this charge and everything on us, uh, I told the guy that uh, from C Company, who I'm an assistant to here, he was a gunner. I says, I don't think we're going to get out of this. And he says, it, they come up here, I pile them high, don't beer down there. And I thought, I got to spend my last hours with somebody that can't even talk, <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
what he was saying is, if they come, I'll pile them as high as those trees. And uh, I thought, this guy's too dumb to be scared. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, then this, everything I said, all that noise, and, the, and they come charging up. And, of course, we couldn't stop them with our small arms. They just kept on coming. And uh, so we had to call our Air Force, I mean, uh, our, our uh, artillery, on our own position to beat them off. And uh, finally, uh, uh, well, the company commander was killed. And uh, uh, a sergeant took over. And he says, we, we got to get out of here. And he ordered retreat. I heard later that he was court-martialed for not, you have to get permission to retreat, under normal conditions anyway, from battalion. They tell you if you can retreat or not. Now, obviously that can't be done all the time, but, <clears throat> but anyway, he was court-martialed. And that's the only reason I'm sitting here tonight, because he disobeyed and he was court-martialed. So after, and then this was a scary point, but uh, now you were in for, like you said, 11 months. Most of the time it was six months. At 11 months, you're thinking you're never going home, right? You, 11 months? Yeah. You, you get notice that you finally get to go home after 11 months, right? Yeah. And uh, so. Oh, that was a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a, a Lulu of a time. I, the first time the, the Chinese took Seoul, Mm -hmm. They went over these mountains that were so steep, you could hardly go up them. They'd keep sliding down. And when you finally got to the top, the clouds were below you. And uh, you couldn't dig in because it was all solid rock, practically. Well, what they did this time, they put the first calf up there, my outfit. This time they, 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 they used dynamite to make every fifth hole was a bunker and uh, for a 50 caliber machine gun. Then you had the 30 caliber machine guns in between that, plus all the rifles in between that. We had all the firepower it was possible to get. We also were guaranteed the heaviest support of the war in uh, artillery, we had not only the 105 field pieces, but the 155s, and then some bigger than that, 380s. And they were all zeroed in on the valley, and the Chinese would have to come across that valley. And then we had, uh, down in that valley, we also had uh, 12 strands of double apron barbed wire, and we had uh, mines and booby traps all down there. And tons and tons of jelly gasoline on each end designed to blow inward and catch the whole place on fire, burn the whole valley out. And they said, now we'll see if the Chinese can take this again, you know, with mm -hmm. firepower like that. And I got orders uh, while I was up there that finally my rotation came through. And I, I could go home. And so I thought, oh, great, this is great, you know. And uh, I went down, I went all the way down, and there was a truck down there. 
And while I was traveling to go down there, the Chinese attacked. And I could hear all the shooting and everything, and I thought, oh no, they're going to call me back. And, uh, but they didn't. The truck picked me up and took me away. But what I heard is the Chinese went down in there, they went over those seven, those uh, 12 strands of double apron barbed wire, were so thick with bodies, the other Chinese could go right over them. And they actually started up. They actually went through all that mines and booby traps and uh, almost took the place again. And so this is something that a lot of people don't uh, think about. We call it the Forgotten War and the number of casualties. You mentioned that uh, the Vietnam took 10 years to get the number of American casualties that the Korean War did in three. Something that isn't talked about and even there's not a whole lot of records of is the casualties on the other side, the Chinese. Yeah. Now, the Chinese had a lot of issues in which they had to be in this. First of all, when it was cold in Korea, yeah. it was really cold, right? Yeah, it was Arctic. It's Arctic uh, weather poured through Manchuria down into and North Korea. was all mountains. You're right up there where you freeze your nuggets off. And uh, so anyway, that's okay. the way it was. And I heard them. I could hear them cry. I could hear the Chinese crying. And, and they the had heavy clothes on and tennis shoes. Mm -hmm. And we had big Mickey Mount boots and everything, and, and some of us got, got uh, frostbite, uh, frozen feet. And I could hear the Chinese crying. I actually felt sorry for them. Max, did you suffer anything of what we call today as uh, PTSD after having seen bodies sticking out of the ground and some of the, the stuff that you suffered personally, did that, were you affected by anything like that? No, no, it didn't. Uh, in fact, I got, I threw some dead North Koreans off of a cliff, and I actually enjoyed seeing their bodies bump around down on the ground. Uh, it didn't bother me too much. But the thing is, I don't feel like that now. I mean, it, this is when I was, you know, we lost. You were young and you were being uh, shot I, at. I was young yeah. and stupid, and uh, uh, we lost a lot of people, and so I didn't mind throwing them off and watch their heads bounce on the rock. You lost some friends in Korea, didn't you? Pardon? You lost some friends while in Korea, right next we, to you. Yeah, we, we lost a lot of them, but, but the thing is, uh, uh, the question again was what? Um, did you suffer from PTSD or what, I guess it was called oh, shell no. shock or yeah. battle you know, fatigue? I, I, battle only, fatigue. I only saw one man uh, going to shock the whole time I was there. I don't know. This, this is a mystery to me. I don't know why uh, the wars now, there's so many people that are screwed up. Uh, you know, they get into drugs and that. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know of anybody in the Korean War that, that had any troubles like that. This, uh, what do they call this, some of this stuff? Post-traumatic yeah, stress Post-traumatic stress. I, I don't know of anybody that had that. And I don't even know, my dad was in World War II. I don't even think they had that much problem with that in World War II. I think in World War II it was called shell shock. By the yeah. Korean War or they changed it to fatigue. battle fatigue. Yeah. And now it's post-traumatic stress. They just keep mm -hmm. adding more syllables, as George yeah. Cameron says. Um, well, yeah, but I don't know of anybody that had anything like that. Uh, so here you are. You um, 
we were talking about the Chinese casualties. You could hear the Chinese sitting there crying because of the cold feet and stuff like that. You never hear the Chinese give estimates on the number of casualties, but they were sending over, they had a huge military force as far as number of people. What still would you, do. Still yeah. do. Well, they uh, got a standing army of about a million. How many people do you think, how many at that time do you think were lost of Chinese? They were lost where? The Chinese. How many casualties, Chinese casualties do you figure? That we had? Chinese. Chinese? Yes. Well, uh, they don't have a figure that I know of. I, I, uh, I read a lot of books, and it doesn't tell me how many the Chinese lost. But my opinion is it must have been at least a million. That's what we're looking for. Huh? That's what we're looking for, a guesstimate yeah. on your part, yeah. And so, And a lot of that was not just because of gunfire by the North Americans, but weather-related yeah. also. Well, one of the things that did it was our air power. You know, I'm I'm amazed at how those guys found everything. I could see where they were tr uh, trying to hide in that, and all, a lot of camouflage and everything. They found them anyway, and burned them right out. It has to do with all that book learning you guys went mm -hmm. through. Yeah, uh, yeah. We were supposed ground to. Ground pounders can appreciate the Air Force. Oh, once I, in boy, a while, I right? can. They yeah. had a lot of training. <laughs> Believe me, I pickles can. in a barrel. Yeah. I'm probably only here because of the Air Force. We were told we were going to get attacked by a Mongolian cavalry. And, uh, and it, it was really cavalry. They were riding these little ponies. And, and uh, so we were all ready for that. And they were crossing a river in the daytime. And the Air Force caught them and just blasted the whole division out. Killed them all, practically all of them. And uh, there were big pieces of meat in the trees and, and uh, bodies floating down the river. And uh, we never got to fire a single shot hmm. at, the, at this cavalry. Is that a complaint? No. <laughs> <laughs> so... You also faced, after the Chinese stepped into it, you th said ch things changed in the war. It seemed like something that all of a sudden became tolerable compared to when it was just the North Koreans, when yeah. we've talked in the past. Yeah. Um, you almost, because the battles started becoming further and further between each other, you started getting actually bored between battles, or started looking forward to other battles, didn't you? Yeah, we actually did. Instead of having, having to fight every night... It was sometimes once a week, sometimes even more than that. And uh, you did get kind of bored then. Well, well would it, oh. excuse me, but who had the most casualties? Was it the Chinese or the North Koreans? Well, there's no way I can estimate that. I, the North Koreans lost a lot because they, 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 they actually lost the war temporarily mm. until the Chinese came in. What happened was... They had us down in a little corner of Korea. Yeah, in Pusa. Yeah, and they, they were right on the brink. They were right on the brink of taking the whole peninsula. Mm -hmm. And uh, what happened is MacArthur took the first and second Marines north of the parallel. Yeah, he came uh, in on Incheon. At Incheon. Yeah. He took them there and attacked them at Incheon, and that made a two-front war for the, for the North Koreans. They had, to, they had to divide their men, and we broke out of the perimeter then mm -hmm. and started going north. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the Marines were going south, and we got their whole army 
in a, in a, in a trap. hammer. Yeah, in a hammer. And that, that's when the Ch Chinese later came in, when, when they saw the Koreans were just beat. There was talk about going home for Christmas and things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, as, as Pastor Max was telling his story, there was a point, Ed, where you kind of like look shocked to move your chair away. There's actually a thing in battle that happens that they found out. No, he told me about how he enjoyed killing people. I just wanted to get away from this guy a little bit, you know? There's, there's a point in battle, and it actually has been found that um, when you first go into battle, you're, you're terrified. But when the battle starts, you mentally, your sight. Focus. Your focus changes to the point of a warrior. It's either them or you, and there comes a point where that person's going to kill you or you're going to kill him. So if you kill the other person, you it's something to be enjoyed because it's not you that's dead. And they've, Well, I'm thinking of that Navy SEAL who just got, uh, not exonerated, but what's the word, pardoned, or mm -hmm. commute. The president just uh, uh, gave him a pardon, yeah. I think it is, because he took a picture of himself holding up the one ISIS fighter he mm -hmm. had killed. And, you know, that was kind of like violated some kind of code or something. Yeah. They didn't get any picture of you throwing bodies off of cliffs, did they? <laughs> but the thing is, is when you are in confronted in battle, they've done actual psychological tests on the soldiers that when the battle starts, it's a total different mindset in the brain that kicks in. And at that point, it's uh, flight or fight, mm -hmm. so to speak. And, it, and you don't have a choice in the military to flight. So it's fight. That's why officers carry pistols. That's what, right. Um, <laughs> turn the wrong, the wrong way. <laughs> having, having come to the Lord, I don't think I would enjoy throwing people over the cliff again. Well, I don't think under normal mm -hmm. circumstances you would have done that anyways, except for underneath a, a battles-type yeah. scenario. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying is they found out actions like this and, and, and events like this are very, very common in war. Uh, because in the end, it's not you going down the hill. Yeah, it's somebody else. A little bit grateful. Military is not a that war is not a pretty thing. I mean, Sherman taught that to the South. He says, "Let them show that war is hell." Right? Um, war is not pretty. Vietnam War became a TV war, the dinner war. Every war since then has been televised, and they've tried to cleanse war to where people don't get hurt. Well, that's nonsense. People get hurt in war. People die in war, and we have to. Thank our military when they go in there and they raise their hand and they take that oath to protect the Constitution of the United States and to serve underneath our Commander-in-Chief for doing what they do. So to all of the servicemen out there, I want to say thank you for serving. This has been a moment of clarity. I love each and every one of you. God bless you all, and we'll see you next week. been listening to a moment of clarity on wham talk 1600 with your hosts pastor richard Dietering and phil starchel be sure to tune in again next week right here on wham radio 